0: So I hope that you'll enjoy what we have uh, to study together tonight. We're going to be in the book of Philippians. Uh, That's where I'm taking the college students through. I felt it uh, thus necessary because uh, we spent the entire fall and most of the winter in Job. And so... uh, (laughs) I figure if you go that long in Job, you need a little encouragement, you need a little uh, sunshine in your life, a little joy, and the book of Philippians definitely offers that to the believer. And so we're in Philippians 2 tonight, and uh, verses 19 to 29. I don't know if I've ever heard this passage preached before, and so as I began to study it, I just uh, fell in love with it. I really like the concrete examples that Paul offers to us, Oftentimes. When Paul is communicating, or when a, a, a book is communicating to us, it seems very abstract, um, very uh, kind of out there. But he gives us two concrete examples of what is the theme of the book of Philippians, which is verses, verse, chapter 1, verse 27. And so if you look over in chapter 1, verse 27, that's the theme verse for really the entire book. And that verse says, "...whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ." Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when you come back to chapter 2, he gives us two concrete examples of people that conduct themselves, no matter the circumstances, they conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first one being Timothy and the other one being Epaphroditus. And so these are two concrete examples. And I like that when I'm talking to college students because they need all the concrete they can get to get their heads out of the clouds. And so it's very easy to communicate this timeless truth that is present here. And for the college students, and think for really all of us, we struggle with this one idea. What is said about us when we're not present? When we're not in the room, what do our grandchildren say? When we're not in the room, what do our kids say? For the college student, what do people say in the dorm room when they're not there? What do people say in the friend group? What do people say at Domino's when you're absent? What do people say about you in the grocery store when you're in the checkout line and They're still in the frozen food section. What do people say about us? And do we have any sway in that? Do we have any way to change that? Do we have any input on what people say when we're not present? Well, this little 10-verse offering in Philippians says that we do. Because you see, Paul is writing a letter about two individuals that are not present. And he's giving his opinion on them. And the one thing that he says about them is that they have shown that they care about the gospel and about other people. And that has directly influenced what people say, particularly Paul, what Paul says when they're not there. And so the way for us to understand that is we can show or we can know, we can show people that we care and that will greatly influence what they say when we're not there. Show them you care, and it will influence what they say when you're not there. For our time right now, in modern times, we can ask people's opinion about anything we want. We can ask them what they think and what they feel, and they can tell us now instantaneously through the power of social media. People ask, what should I wear in collegiate circles? And they vote on it, and that determines what they wear. I don't know about you, but I don't need that much input in my life. I'm just proud that I woke up and put on clean clothes and I'm able to walk outside fully dressed. But you see it on Facebook? Recommendations on where I should eat. Recommendations on where I should shop. Recommendations on this and that. Opinions, 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 opinions. Over and over again. Opinions, opinions. When I was growing up, we didn't have Facebook. Yeah, I'm that old. We didn't have Instagram, Snapchat, any of those things. But we did have a mechanism for determining what other people thought about us when we were in middle school and high school. It wasn't quite as frequent as Instagram, Snapchat, or Facebook, but it was very effective in knowing what people that you didn't normally interact with, what they thought about you, and you coveted their opinions. It was obvious because when you got your yearbook... You wanted everybody to sign it. And you would take that yearbook from class to class for maybe a week or two and people would sign it. And you always wanted that one really pretty girl that you were very, very reluctant to ever act like you liked or that you had any interest in because you knew she was way out of your league, and you would kind of put that yearbook up there, and you'd be like, I wonder what she thinks about me. And she would write in there, you're the coolest, see you next year. And you're like, I knew it all along. She was in love with me and just afraid to act on it. She thinks I'm the coolest. (laughs) I'm sure you had that problem as well. To know what somebody else thought about you when you weren't in the room, to know what somebody else's opinion of you. And if you could influence that, I think that most of us would buy into that. We would want to do that. And so Paul tells us we can by showing that we care. And so let's look at the verses here tonight. This is Philippians 2, 19 through 29. Paul says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send you Timothy that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the lord that i myself will come soon but i think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus my brother my fellow worker a fellow soldier who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him, again you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. And so, as we look at this, what does Paul say about Timothy? He obviously says some good things. He says, there's no one else like him. If you look there, it says, there's no one else like him. I have no one else like him in verse 20. Because he takes a genuine interest in your welfare. And so, if we are to show people that we care, What interest should we take in them? It says a genuine interest. And for the follower of Christ, the genuine interest that we must take is for the welfare of their soul. Yes, it is wonderful to have a genuine care for someone, how they feel, if they're doing all right. But for the follower of Christ, the really genuine care that we can express into another person's life is do they have a relationship with Jesus Christ because we may make them feel better and they may physically be better, but one day it will be determined whether they will be with us in heaven or not. And so the genuine interest that you and I must have for those that do not know Christ is their relationship with Christ. Do they have one? That's the genuine interest, that is the welfare that Paul is talking about because Timothy has that for others, the same interest that Paul has for the Philippians. Timothy shares that, and that is, are they growing in Christ, and do they know Christ? Are they conducting themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? He says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in the welfare for verse 21, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. The interest of Jesus Christ is the welfare of others being where their eternity is determined. That is the interest that Jesus Christ has. It says he has also proven himself in the latter verses. Timothy has proven himself in service with Paul in difficult times against the false gospel. We see that in chapter 1 and not exploiting the privileges available to him by God. Timothy doesn't take advantage of the position he has in Paul's ministry or in the ministry there uh, in Philippi when he gets there. And so we are not to do that as well. And so after Paul, we see Epaphroditus. This is 25 through 30. And this is what Paul has to say about Epaphroditus. He says he's a messenger, a fellow brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. And so as a messenger, he has endured difficulties for the gospel. Paul considers him that word messenger meaning apostle, meaning one who has seen and believes in Christ's resurrection and is preaching it thus so. He also is a minister. This is Paul giving Epaphroditus the credit he deserves so that when he returns home, they can actually, in verse 29, it says, welcome him in the Lord. As a servant of the Lord, we are to welcome him, or he should be welcomed in the Lord with great joy and thus be honored. He's also a fellow worker, a soldier, one who has co-labored with Paul for the cause of the gospel. And then lastly there it says he has put his life on the line for the call placed on him by God. Epaphroditus has become a servant to Paul in his need. If you see that in verse 25, he says, "...but I think it is necessary to send him back to you, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, who is also a messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs." And so Epaphroditus has come to be a servant of Paul just as Christ became obedient and a servant even unto death. And that echoes chapter 2, verse 8, which is the song of Christ. If you look there in verse 8 in chapter 2, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even on the cross. And so Epaphroditus is modeling the same thing that Paul says Christ has done. This is that concrete example that Paul is giving to us of someone acting in the manner in which Christ acted as a servant, becoming human and dying on the cross. He says Epaphroditus has heard that, believed that, and is acting on that. What a challenge to us to lay our life on the line for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ, serving in that capacity. And then lastly, Paul says, men like this should be honored. We are to honor men and women who have become slaves, risking their health to fulfill the higher calling. And this is exactly what Paul is asking the Philippians to do. So what is said about you when you're not there? Wouldn't you like to know? To be a fly on the wall. If someone were writing a letter to another church, which used to be done. You know, nowadays when we move our letter, it's more of a transfer of information, but it used to not be that way. It used to, if you joined a church... And they asked for your letter. The only reason I know this is because the church I first served, we actually had an instance of it because the church librarian, if you didn't return a book, she would make sure if you asked for your letter, that the church did not receive it. Because she wanted her book back. And the pastor had a really hard time with that because he would tell her, you know, this is, it's a kind of a new day in a new way. And she goes, but. They have the property of the church, and they need to return it or they need to pay for it. And so she would say, your letter is not granted from the church librarian, and so the pastor has to extend grace to you at this point. And so I remember us discussing that, that if you were not a member in good standing because you had too many delinquent church library books, (laughs) that's serious, Sorry, sir, you may not join our fellowship of Christ because apparently you have checked out too many books from the previous church you have served and you need to get those back in due course. But what would be written about you if you were to switch churches? And they actually said, we would like a letter stating how that person served. in what capacity they ministered there in your fellowship, what would it say? They sat really well. (laughs) Quietly. They were observant. They didn't go to the bathroom a lot. Always helpful. What would be said? What would be written? What about... Your children, your grandchildren, your friends, what would they write about you? I think that if you show them that you care genuinely about them, particularly about their faith and where they are with Christ, that would be a pretty nice letter. Secondly, have you proven yourself in difficult times? We know from Romans 5. It says that not only so, but we can also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given us. Have you persevered through difficult times? I think most of us in this room would say, yes, I've persevered through many difficult times, so many that I can't count. Is that what people would write about you? That you display joy in difficult times because your joy was complete in the personage of Christ. And and thirdly, what do others say about you when you're not present? If you don't have friends who will tell you the truth, then you may not truly have friends. Most of us would probably say we have one or two people that when we can honestly ask them, did I act poorly in that situation? You're going to say, well, that's my spouse. and She usually interjects very quickly after I have misbehaved. Isn't it wonderful to know that God gives us a partner? (laughs) Amen? That has our back but is also not afraid to act. (laughs) But do we have those friends that will help us be a better us? I, I like to put it this way. College students are really enamored by this phrase, I want to be a person that calls a spade a spade. I really don't know what that phrase means because I feel like if you're playing spades that you know what's going on. You're not going, that's a spade. You're not surprised by it. Now, if you were playing hearts and someone threw a spade, I think there might be some difficulty as what game you're playing. But I think for us, we want someone who will push us and call us to have the heart of Christ. Not call a spade a spade, but call us to have the heart and attitude of Christ and reflect Philippians one twenty seven, Conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Also, we see here from Epaphroditus that we are to know the mission and the call that has been placed upon our life. Timothy and Epaphroditus knew the call that had been placed on their life. And if you think about it this way, social scientists tell us this. I don't know, I I, I deal with college students, okay? And, And they're forming their identity. Have you ever hung around a college student, they dress one day one way and then three days later they're just in a totally different way and then a month later that's not cool anymore and look I'm I'm 43 I stopped being cool about 23 years ago so I'm cool with it you know they say Casey you're not supposed to wear that anymore and I'm like why it fits (laughs) they say that's not cool anymore and I'm like I gave up that cause a long time ago. Now we're just going, does it fit and does it cover the necessary parts? And I'm good most of the time, you know. And that's just great. But social scientists tell us that, it, that, that we form our identity by what other people say about us. From a young age, when, when, when your parent says, you're so smart. You're so fast. And we believe those things, right? And so you have family, and they they tell us what we... They help us form who we are initially. And then we go to this thing called school, and they tell us a little bit about who we are. Uh, I had a teacher, a best friend. I remember it pretty vividly. and He was left-handed, and we were learning to write, and the teacher actually taped his left hand to the desk and put the pencil in his right hand. And so he wrote like this. (laughs) He still writes like that with his right hand bent around because that's the only way he can write. It's not pretty. You can barely read it, especially his cursive. They don't teach that anymore, right? And so school helped form that identity. And then later, friends helped form that identity. And for those that are not redeemed, that is where most of us receive our identity. It is from family and school and friends, and they're kind of like family plus school plus friends equals you. You say, no, it doesn't. I'm my own person. Social scientist says, no. You may not believe everything that the people outside tell you, but you pick up on so much of it that you don't even know. But for the follower of Christ, we have a different way of doing math. We have our family, plus school, plus friends, multiplied by who Christ says we are, equals the true you. And so Epaphroditus and Timothy, they knew that Christ was the great multiplier. And so the call that was upon their life was the call of Christ. And they knew it. So much so that they would die for it. Verse 29 of this passage says that it is men like this that we should honor. Would you be worthy of being honored? I feel like most of us in this room would. Because honor is something that is bestowed. It's an acknowledgement of what people have observed. And so, in the same manner that honor is being bestowed on Timothy and on Epaphroditus, honor would be bestowed upon you. So, here are some practical ways to change the conversation: practical ways to show them that you care to influence what they say when you're not there, practical ways to change that conversation. Pray and ask God to give you a servant's heart. I call it shopping cart justice. Do you know what that is? Shopping cart justice? Shopping cart justice says, this is my cart, I shall return it. Christ would say, return yours and the five others that are still moving around the parking lot in a sporadic pattern denting people's cars and running haywire across super one because that's what christ would do that's what paul would do that's what epaphroditus would do because they had a servant's heart and they knew that as they served people saw the cross of christ and the glory of god not taking credit for themselves but giving all credit and all glory to god asking god give me that servant's heart Society says, if it's not happening to you, then don't get involved. That's a shame. Because we all spin on this marble of blue and green the same way. Your life affects mine. Mine affects you. And when we, as followers of Christ, act like there is no one else in the world but us, we neglect this servant's heart. Number two, create space to serve and to love others. Don't stack up your day and react to your day. Say yes to margin in your life. Yes to the mayhem of humanity. And this is very difficult. For a college student, this is next to impossible to have margin in your day. Because they literally live, live second to second. If you ask a college student, what do you, will you meet me tomorrow? They may be able to give you a definitive answer. But if you say, can you meet me the day after tomorrow? There's no way you're getting an answer. They, they tell us, don't even advertise stuff two days before it's going to happen. Because most students don't know where they're going to be or what they're going to be doing. And they can't commit. Most of the people in this room, you know what you're going to be doing three weeks from now in detail. Yeah, Everybody's patting each other. That's you, sweetie. That's you, honey. Yeah, because you're like, you know what? If you don't organize it, it's going to pass you by. College students are like, it's passing all the time. I'm just trying to hold on. That's how most of them are. And by now, most of us in this room realize that life is chaotic. The best laid plans go... Awry. and so you have to embrace the mayhem of humanity and know that Christ is the constant oh. so when you see crazy happening you're like man this is, this is getting kind of nuts embrace it as life as life breathing and ask how can I help it breathe How can I sustain its breath? How can I bring life support to a dying world even? Embrace the mayhem. And lastly, know the mission and go with it. Know the mission just like Timothy did, just like Epaphroditus. Know the mission, and the mission is for the glory of God, for the advancement of his kingdom, and be willing to give your life for it. And for us today, we are not necessarily in the crosshairs No one is coming at us necessarily with a gun. But we can die to self every day. You probably don't know exactly what I do. I'm the college minister here. Been here 15 years and some change. Loved every minute of it. I teach this class. We don't talk about it a lot in circles like this, because it is a little bit, shall we say, difficult. At 7 o'clock on Wednesday night, I've had as many this year as 170-something, and right now we have probably about 70 coming. This class goes all year long. It's at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night, and it's called Sex and Dating. Now, if you don't think that college students need help on those two fronts, come and talk to me. I'll make you a believer in about two seconds. They eat it up. They, they, they love being there. They love talking. They love interacting. And the one thing I tell them is, do you want to get to where you have a marriage like your grandparents? They go, yes. I said, do you honestly think that you'll wake up every single day and put someone else's needs above your needs, wants, and desires? They go, I don't know. I said, well, that's marriage on most days. Because right now all you see is 18 to 21, and she's beautiful and gorgeous, and you don't see that when she rolls over in the morning she's got a little bit of gunk in her left eye. A little bit of something coming out of her nose because she's got the sniffles because the air conditioner was too low. Her hair looks like something crawled through it in the middle of the night and left a nest. (laughs) And you're going to roll over at 35 or 43 where I'm at and you're going to say, this person, I will sacrifice my life for them today. That their wants needs dreams and all who they are I will make sure that is my top priority. Because that's what Christ does for us. And that's what a lost and dying world is begging for us as Christians to do for them. To show them that we care. To influence the conversation when we're not there. Ladies and gentlemen, I beg you, I beg myself, I plead with myself to show those in Ruston and around the world that we care for their souls. Now, you may have to start off with a cup of water, but make sure you give them the living water as well. Amen. Thanks for being here tonight. I was fully expecting a very vacant room. We'll have a word of prayer. I think Zach's got a song for us. Is this correct? And then Zach will lead us in a song. Lord God, we thank you for tonight and for your word, Lord, that encourages us down into our marrow, down into the very fiber of our being, Lord. Lord, we are in awe of how much you care for us. And so, Lord, let us extend that care to those around us to influence the conversation when we're not there. Lord, that they would not call us hypocrites, They would not call us mean or coarse or judgmental even. But they would call us Christians. Little Christs that demonstrate the love of the cross. In Jesus' name.